Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Saido and Marina Galan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Hello, everyone. Marina, hi. Hi, Misha. How are you today? Well, I am excited. Oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I remember in my school, my biology professor once told us that excitement and fear vibrationally feels the same way. Yes, I have heard that before as well. So that's interesting. And, 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 and basically she said, look, if you are feeling afraid, just explain that to you that you're just excited. Yes, exactly. The same thing happens with stress. So stress can be understood as excitement. Yeah. It's exactly the same brain reaction. Yeah, like it's the same neurochemical reaction. Basically, yeah. you, you get norepinephrine and um, I think dopamine like dopamine right. uh, shot into your blood. There you go. So that's that, that's why you feel like this, this, the same, which is kind yeah. of really interesting. Oh, so I, I don't think it's actually dopamine. I think it's cortisol. Cortisol. Yeah. Yes, makes sense. So tell me, Misha, why are you excited? Oh, so last time we gave our listeners promise. Do you remember the promise? I do. Well, I did. I didn't. I didn't understand it as a promise. I understood it as a suggestion. <laughs> kind of the same, you know. You, you you just walk the talk and you talk the walk, right? Right. Okay. Gotcha. So we suggested we'll be talking about sex today. We did. It's true. And you know, in matters of sex, suggestions are always always better than promises. So. We're up to a good start. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wish you you could promise stuff in sex. Mm, Why? (laughs) Why would you want to promise anything? So technically, you kind of start off with the promise generally, like especially in the beginning of relationships. (laughs) (laughs) What <laughs> promise? And then the truth, you know, kind of comes up. <laughs> oh my God, man. You think about it in terms of promises, really? No, of course not. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> yeah. How we approach sex does change. It does change with experience. It's true. So... Tell me more. Well, I think when we're young, maybe there is this sense of a promise, you know, like you've heard so much about it. Everybody has said it is the best thing in the world. And there is so much expectation built into the whole experience. And it's not an experience that anybody can really explain to you. You really, really have to go through it in order to understand it, right? And so I think going from that initial expectation to actually understanding 
that the whole path is an exploration, you know, in which you just free yourself into experiencing it. So would you say that your first time met your expectations? God, no. Yeah, the same for me. <laughs> God, no. No, not at all. And, and, you know, being a woman, there's also the other expecta built expectation around pain. And, you know, there are just so many beliefs around it that create so much fear and so much rejection. And so I think, I think women especially are brought into the experience with uh, an impossible conundrum of fear and wanting, of fear and um, curiosity. But it's, it's just such a dissonant moment. And it creates a lot of unnecessary suffering. Oh, yeah. You know, like the, the, the first time my thought right after was, is it all there is? <laughs> oh, my God. I hope she's not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's not because of her. Is because of of the expectations gap. Yeah. No. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, talking about this this gender difference, also, um, I think part of what was present in me was, okay, let's get it over with. Yeah. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. You know, like this is what everybody wants. This is what you want, clearly. So. Let's get it over with. But it was, looking back now, I see that my whole preparation for the moment was horrible because it, was, it had nothing to do with me. It had, it had everything to do with appeasing the guy, you know. And from the start, it was just so crooked that way. Yeah. It made what, it impossible to... to what, what, was there like a stigma in your head around like around that or why your thinking process was that way? Well, okay. Here's, here's where it, where it becomes personal. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> uh, I grew up surrounded by men. I have eight brothers and no sisters. Wow. That's all the brothers. Yeah. That's a lot of brothers. And uh, the education in my house was clearly tainted by, you know, the macho Latin American culture. And so the, the difference in the way my brothers and I were brought up was significant. And the message I was always receiving was, you have to take care of yourself. Beware of boys. You know, that's all they want. They don't want anything else. And we are all you know, assholes and we are all bad. And, and so, so yes, of course there was, there was a sense of, man, what am I, what am I doing? I, I, I am betraying everything that, that was <laughs> offered to me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to put it very, very, very nicely. 
And the women in my life were so, I think their relationship with the feminine and the masculine were also very complex, very complicated. And so there was no, I think there is so much guilt associated with the pleasure part in the women world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, have you found yourself being in, I, I, I heard someone describe that as the sexual gap. So biologically, genders are different. And uh, generally for males, sex is less about pain. And also it is very kind of straightforward process. You, you like majority of us, are kind of in a race, you know? Yes, yes, Michelle. It's like a straight line. And let, let, let me finish around the gap. So the sexual gap is that 95% of males will get to orgasm in sex and only 60% of females will get there. So that's the, the, the first 35% gap. And... 70% of females will experience pain once or on constant basis, while I think only 15% of males will ever experience pain during sex. Wow, right? That's, that's a freaking huge gap. No, I mean, those numbers are scary. Yeah. No matter how you look at them, right? But what I have found in talking to men in recent years, you know, having open, honest, vulnerable conversations around the topic, is that there is also a sense of shame attached to sex in men because of the same uh, message of abuse and control that there is, that underlies the whole cultural, mm, I don't know, message around sex, if you want to see it that way. Yeah. It's like double-edged sword. So on one side, like you don't want to be a dick. Like you, 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 you want to take care. You want to show that, hey, you know, I'm here for you as well as much as you are here for me. And the macho culture is, okay, how am I performing? You know, yeah. am I good? Am I bad? You know, and depending on my performance and your biofeedback and your verbal feedback i'm attaching whatever you say to my own value yes it's an ego thing ego stuff and you know the the the, the potence thing is is um, is a big one for for males yeah right so you you have on one side yeah you don't get as much pain and the process is pretty straight for you but on the other side you have as well a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and a lot of comparison as well involved. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Amongst men, the comparison. Amongst men, the performance. Amongst men, the competition. And regarding women, I think there's a mixture of, you know, the abuse and control the, and the, I am not supposed to care. Because if I do, that means I am not man enough. You know, and so we we find ourselves 
caught up in a catch-22 in which we are experiencing emotions and feelings that, that we are rejecting because of the ideas imposed by us, by the culture yeah. Yeah. and the upbringing. How, in your life, how have you dealt with that? Like, how, how were you dealing with, A, the gap, and B, all that cultural nonsense that was created? Have I dealt with that in my life? Oh my God, you would be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Every day of my life, I have dealt with it some, some way or another. You know. Are you still? Are you still there, or uh, you, are you? Have you crossed the bridge? I think there are endless bridges to cross, Misha. Yeah. But luckily, I have. I found. I find myself now in a moment of my life in which I am so open, so honest, so ready to be completely vulnerable. And to cross those bridges, you know, just bring them on. Let's cross them all. No, no, no problem whatsoever. Of course, it takes a solid, good relationship to do that. Yes. But throughout, and that is why I, why I was saying at the beginning, you know, to come to understand that it is a process in which you shed so much of your beliefs, so much of your of your ideas and concepts just to just to be able to explore yourself the other and the possibilities but oh yes it's been a it's been a long long tortuous path <laughs> which has been filled with the whole plethora of human experience you know it has been incredibly challenging And it has been amazingly beautiful at the same time. What was kind of the biggie for you? Like, what was the most challenging part you had to overcome? I don't think there is one huge one. But, but if I were to take like the, like the few huge ones that I have in my mind right now, And I had to boil them down to their essence. I think it would revolve around trust. So tell me more. What do you mean by that? Well, on one side, there is trusting the person you're with, which was not easy for me. Given my experiences in life, it was definitely not easy for me. But then there is also a process in which you learn to trust yourself, which was not easy for me. I, <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of bridges to cross right there. And, so, uh, and then there's also uh, trusting the process, Misha, like surrendering to the experience of sex. Which is, which is so full of promise and so full of beauty. But most human beings have this, this idea of sex in which we are the performers, like you were, say, you were saying. And we do not understand that there is a process happening in and out of itself. It's like when you dance. 
<laughs> you have the other person and you're, you yourself there. But there is also a process going on that has nothing to do with either of you. But that becomes alive by both the meeting of the two and also the intention of the two. But it is a process in and out of itself. So like you were talking about biofeedback. Yes, there is biofeedback, but that is not the only thing that, that guides you. So you are guided by the other's biofeedback, by your own biofeedback, but also by whatever comes to life in the moment. And that process is, is not always obvious in relationships, but if you find it and, and you are willing to go with it and surrender to that process and its guidance, Man, you're in for a treat. <laughs> Let's unpack the trust piece a little bit. So you were saying that trust was big yes. for you. What was the, the nature of it? Or what was the reason initially that you were kind of coming with distrust or you were kind of hooked up on on that thought like why are you asking me about my personal life mate? <laughs> oh, yeah of course <laughs> okay i um i experienced sex abuse when i was very little for a number of years from a person i trusted back then and uh when I finally gathered a few years later, when I finally gathered the courage to talk about it and ask for help, the response I received was, figure it out. There is nothing we can do to help. We cannot interfere. And so it took me more time to find the courage and the means and the to stop, to stop it. it. And so yeah. that, I don't know, quote unquote, trauma, if you want to call it that, made it very difficult for me to trust both the person involved, but also the people around the process, you know? And so, whereas most of my friends were being able to talk about their experiences with the friends, I found it absolutely impossible. I felt I was completely alone in that world. And so <clears throat> trusting the other person, but also trusting myself in the process was incredibly challenging for a number of years. Do you still get the reminiscence of that when you enter into relationship with someone? No, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore, but, so I, you, but you, hey, I worked on it like diligently and consciously. Like it was something, yeah. it was something I really wanted to work on. Not at the beginning. Right. It took me a while to realize I wanted to actually work on it. And then I realized that it was not something workable with just anyone. So, yeah. So, was it like psychotherapy? And um, how, how did you actually like? How did you heal yourself? Well, 
No, I kind of tried to bring it into, bring it into therapy, but it didn't really work at all. <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. So it was it was really a very personal process of, and here we go again, trusting myself and my inner guidance system, my inner wisdom to guide me through the process of self-healing. Yeah. So basically self-therapy, self-healing, self-coaching, working with yourself. Yes. But then I had to, I had to work with someone, right? <laughs> because I can work on right. myself all I yeah. want, but yeah, man, when, yeah. when you have a body in front of you and you know, you want to do things to that body and you want to have things done to you by that body. There was a lot of uh, things surfacing for me at the beginning. And so I, I discovered that not every person, <laughs> not every person is willing to work with you. Not every person is willing to uh, walk that path of healing with you. It takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of love and a lot of vulnerability to, to hold someone and walk with them through that process. Does that make sense? That's so interesting. That's fascinating. Like when you're saying not everyone wants to walk with you, that's really interesting. So you're saying that well, some people say, hey, you know what? Like, I just want to have sex. Like, no, you know, nothing deep, no conversations. I just want to have like mechanical process done and, you know, finish the race, have a coffee and <laughs> cigarette, and that's yeah. it. Yes, a gin and tonic. Gin <laughs> <laughs> and tonic, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's that. There, you can find that kind of a partner, which clearly, if if you are in a process of self healing, is 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 impossible. But then there are there are other partners that come with their own traumas and their own conditioning, and and some of those conditionings and those traumas are not are, are or they are not willing to work through them so that they can work with you yes and so in a way that's why i say it takes someone with a lot of courage and a lot of love and a lot of vulnerability and willingness to to work with you to work on themselves as well because clearly you know like me as an as a woman that had gone through abuse i would suddenly react in unexpected ways that would challenge the other person's beliefs or the other person's uh, expectations or the other person's upbringing. Because they, they, they might think it is yes, about them. Yes, exactly. Right? They say, oh, it's, it's, it's me, you know, I'm doing not the right thing, I'm bad, you know, or what's going on, there is a problem with me. Or maybe they it might think... Something about you that is not exactly true. Like, you know, like women are not supposed to react this way. Women are supposed to be submissive and they are supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you or, need yeah, to obey. Or, or any of that stuff. So it takes, it takes someone that is willing to question their beliefs about sex, their beliefs about women, their beliefs about themselves in order to really engage in a self-healing path. But I have discovered also, Michelle, 
that that is exactly what it takes to engage with someone in an exploration path, trauma or no trauma. Like if you really want to explore sex, you have to let go. You have to let go of anything you believe about it. Everything you know already has gotten you where you are. But if you want to go further, you have to look at what you don't know and you have to do it. So you're telling you're telling me that my porn training would not work. Yeah, pretty well, definitely. <laughs> I was not referring precisely to that. But oh my God, yes, your porn, your porn training won't work. Do you like porn? I don't. Have you ever watched porn? Have I ever watched porn? Yeah, I have. But I don't enjoy it. And what I don't enjoy about it is precisely the stereotypes that it perpetuates. You know, the roles that it perpetuates, I find them demeaning. I find them unreal. I find, I find that they do way more harm than, than good. They're showing unrealistic world. Well. And they're like, they're de dehumanizing. Something. Absolutely. They're absolutely. And, and <clears throat> not only dehumanizing it, but making it completely impersonal. Like the person who is in front of you doesn't matter, regardless of the gender, you know. Which is another really interesting piece. So, eighty to ninety percent of all my clients are women, and while I'm not like sex counselor, very often the sex will come up in our conversation, and. <sighs> Funny enough, it's my clients who taught me about, you know, sex and issues, especially women, what kind of issues they face. Things like libido mismatch or the, the sexual gap and the pain and the suffering and the stigma and shame, all, all of that. But what I generally advise to my clients who are women is think about them themselves first about their pleasure first and the reason i advise is not like i'm saying hey forget about your partner <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying to rewire the system they already have which is submissive obedience very often passive and you know just let's just get it done I'm trying to wire them and say, hey, this is about your pleasure. So be attentive to that. Know your body. Practice that. So next time you are, you know, in the intercourse, you will enjoy. And But now you're saying, hey, that's kind of the, you know, bi-directional experience. And another thing that you, you mentioned that's, that kind of struck me is the healing part. That your partner might come with his or her own traumas and you're bringing your projections and your transference to, to the conversation yeah. as well. But what I also know is that you will find your healing in the healing of other person. Meaning that your need 
will be solved in the need of someone else. So when you help another human being, whatever they hold will help you as well. So, but I, I, I can only imagine how open to exploration both of you should be. But you see, what, what you're saying is, <clears throat> is incredibly interesting because it points to something that a lot of people miss. We usually say, okay, it's about the other person's pleasure, right? That, that's what we're taught. And then suddenly you give your clients advice. Well, think about your pleasure first. But it, when, when, when you talk about this healing, again, we cannot turn it into, oh, help someone heal and that will heal you. Because that's not necessarily true because then healing becomes like a goal, like a thing that has to be accomplished. You're like sacrificing yourself. And again, we go back to, you know, and that is like the women's stereotype worldwide. Sacrifice yourself. Yes. Sacrifice yourself and be happy because you do it. I think it is still a good, good advice for men. Like I wish more men would think about, hey, help your partner yeah, first. I understand what you're saying, but what I wanted to point you to is this. When you hold the space for someone to heal, you have to place yourself in a space open enough to let that happen. And placing yourself in that space must help you heal. So it is not it is not that you heal by helping the other heal. It's just because the space of healing is such a space of vulnerability, such a space of safety, such a space of freedom in which really anything can be brought forward and not judged as it normally would be. But there is a lack of judgment. There is a space of love. And so placing yourself in that space already allows for you to bring forward as well whatever needs to bring forward, to be brought forward. It's interesting that this space of healing is sacred and incredibly vulnerable and so easy to find. Oh, yeah. As, as soon as you bring yourself into it, you know, like as soon as you bring any idea, any ego, it just shatters. And, and again, it's, it's inevitable. It does shatter because it, it, ego comes forward sooner or later. And so again, in, in a relationship in which this is happening, you both have to be very aware of the fact that ego will come and will play, and it will shatter the space, and it doesn't mean anything. It's it's just time to let it go, and you can go back to it in another moment. You see, so you you go into the space together, but you also go come out of the space together in understanding of what is happening. Yeah. At the same time, I don't want our listeners to think that while it is easy to fuck up while it is easy to shatter and destroy this sacred space that you both created, I don't want them to think that it is impossible or very hard to create that space. It, it's not. 
Like they can do that. Everyone can do it. While yeah, you from time to time you will be bringing your little kid, and this little kid is actually yourself, your ego, your kind of animal, you know, lower part of your brain. You will be bringing that to this conversation. But I don't want anyone to think that hey. I have a partner who is, let's say, traditional or who came with traumas. It's impossible to have any conversation with this person. I want to say that while it's easier when two people on the same page, I think that one intention is enough. Very often, one person in a couple is enough to start creating the space. Yeah, and I understand. And and yes, one person is enough to create that space. But it may very well be that from because in that space there is also absolute respect for the other's need. There is when you, when you are in that space and you realize that the other person does not want to let go of his upbringing, does not want to let go of his thinking, does not want to let go of his beliefs about himself and about this. There is a realization of oh, okay, and and from that absolute respect, then another decision can come forward. And it might very well be a separation, but it comes from the self-evidence of, okay, this is what needs to happen, not from an ego place of, oh, you do not want to heal with me. Oh, you do not want to, and I am not willing to. Do you see? So clarity. Clarity is what, what, what brings forward what must be done. But that clarity must be allowed to happen in absolute respect of both yourself and the other. Absolute, radical respect. Period. So if it is hard for your partner and if the partner is just shutting down, let's say, talking about exploration, let's say you are in the, in, in the bedroom and you brought this incredible toy. Yes. <laughs> And you say, hey, we have kind of, you know, a new guest in our bedroom. And today I would like to play with the toy. The partner is like, no freaking way. You know, we're going to do that. So if like, if the person is shutting down, you don't want to shun your partner, right? Like you don't want to say, okay, you don't want to play. You know, I will find someone else. <laughs> Well, again, from that space of absolute love, lack of judgment and understanding, clarity opens up the possibilities, but from a place of understanding. So there are many couples that have no problem with, okay, you don't want to play with that toy. I will go find someone else to play with it. But others do, you know, and, 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 and from that openness and that respect and that vulnerability is where where you can allow yourself to be informed. 
But there is no should or shouldn't anywhere. So would you throw away your toy? I don't know what I would do, Misha, because I would need to be in that moment with that person in order to understand and see what what that moment and that situation asked for, what was needed. But but trying to project right now what would happen in a hypothetical situation like that. Well, it 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 sounds a little, it seems a little bit useless, you know. Like I, it's it sounds like an ego reinforcing thing. Yes, I wouldn't would do this because I would need this. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 absurd. Like in my path of healing, in my path of exploration, I have found myself doing things I I would have never guessed I would do, or or asking for things I never would have guessed I would ask for. And, and okay, you got me interested no, now. But hold on. You got but, me really but also, interested. but also the other way around. I have all also found myself rejecting things that I never thought I would reject. You know, hmm. and that does not mean oh, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. No, again, every experience is unique. Every single experience is unique, and I don't, I don't want this today. But I don't know. Ask me again tomorrow. You see, right? It, it is we we limit ourselves so easily by just creating identity. And sex is not. It's not. It's. it's it, all, it also happens there. You know what was biggie for me in my journey? Again, coming from I think that our cultures in many ways are very similar i'm coming from macho culture as well um so for me the big realization was that orgasm is a byproduct oh yeah and that was really interesting so once you and you, you mentioned that once you focus on the process itself, not on not on the outcome, or versus focusing on the outcome, it actually changes the equation a lot. Of course, and that is what allows the exploration of pleasure. For sure, yeah, that allows the connection, that allows the conversation, and. probably gonna hate me <laughs> hey i can always say i'm not gonna answer that today but ask me again tomorrow <laughs> yeah. so you mentioned about you know the craziest like i i, I could I, I could never expect that i would or i never thought i will or i would have asked that question or asked for that so what is the kinkiest thing you ever asked for oh man that's a difficult question I don't know. What's yours? The kinkiest thing I ever asked for. See, the part of their bringing is that I'm very, very traditional. 
like so traditional that I can, you know, to have a thought in my head that, okay, this is possible. Let's try to do that. You know, um, I think the, 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 the craziest I ever asked for is like, let's have trio. Hmm. Me, like, and two females, but that was kind of rejected before I finished the sentence. <laughs> was, you know, I was way younger and way more courageous at that time. Really? You've lost courage? <laughs> I mean, I would say I have come to terms with myself. Wow. Well, but you, have, but that's, that's but you see, when you ask for things, you have to be very specific because you were meaning to women. But what if she had said, Yes, I have the perfect guy. But... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, you know. Yeah. You really never know. You really, really, really never know. And you know what's interesting, Misha? Sometimes kinkiness has not to do with the concept itself of something out of the ordinary, but of a different kind of exploration of the ordinary. Do you see? And so even within a framework of traditional, you can still find when you open yourself to the experience of just exploring pleasure, you can find unbelievable levels of kinkiness and pleasure and, and wildness. I mean, again, if you put that in this perspective, for me, the breast work was incredible. The what? The breath. Oh, breath. Breath work. work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't remember who actually taught me that again. It's not that just, I just come up with, but the, I think it was a person for sure. It was a woman and, uh, she basically taught me how to circulate energy. It's like initially the energy was only in your like pelvic zone, right? And then with breath, she taught me how you can circulate from literally toes to head and back. Sweet. And that was amazing. And, uh, you know, that immediately increased stamina, increased control, improved the process, and overall satisfaction level you know went through the roof after you know after that part so that was well there you go that sounds pretty kinky right <laughs> i mean yeah so my my understanding of kinky was was kind of different so what was cool for you well what has been cool for me well, your, your, your breathing story reminded me of, you know, the practices of pausing, pausing for a period of time and then starting over and pausing mm -hmm. for another period of time and starting over and, and just exploring what that does, you know? You mean like pausing like for two, three minutes or like for half an hour? Like what, what do you mean by that? Whatever. <laughs> All of the above. What, okay. All of the above. Oh, okay. But yes, you know, like pausing for, I don't know, 15 minutes and then pausing again and again. And what yeah. what that can do to one person and the other. 
Like it sounds counterproductive and it sounds counterintuitive, but oh my God, the things that can happen if you are willing to explore that too. But you see it. Counterproductive for sure. (laughs) No, no, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. But you see, the the, the first step of exploration is letting go of a goal. That's it. You cannot explore with a goal in mind. It's it's the opposite. Yeah, because there is no goal. There is no goal. Like when you explore, there's only the journey and nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. And so opening yourself up to an exploration and, you know, having that shared with someone it's just amazing. So true. It really is just amazing. What's what what's your take on uh, one night stands? You know, I I don't do one night stands, but I respect people who do. I mean, there there must be a lot of enjoyable things there. A lot. But you don't see them. But you what? Like you don't see you don't see uh, them for yourself. Well, you don't I, see I, ha- I haven't. I haven't yet. Okay. I haven't this far. Yeah. Like, but, and it's not something that I deny myself. It's just not something that has interested me up until now. But I don't know. Maybe someday they will. You know. Up until now, I haven't felt inclined to pursue a one night stand. Have you ever had a partner where your libidos will mismatch? Meaning that, okay, you, you want to have a certain frequency, let's say two times per week or one time per month, I don't know. And, and, and the partner will have another frequency in mind. So, and, what, and what's your recommendation, like how to deal with that? Well, again, we create identity. And that is just one more way in which we create identity. Like I have found that it has changed for me over the years, one way and another way and another way and another way. So, so why attach myself to an idea of this is what works for me? Yeah. That's just, it, it, it stopped making sense to me a long, long time ago. But you see, again, it's just a willingness to question. Really? Is, is this for real or am I making it up? What if, what if I am making it up? What if I can go with more? Or what if I can go with less? Whichever, you know? And, and just like mm. we, are, we are bringing forward the possibility of opening yourself up to exploration in terms of physical pleasure and sex, there is also mm-hmm. an invitation to open ourselves up to other ways of connection, other ways of finding intimacy. Mm-hmm. Do you see? And there are so many combinations possible. It's just endless the way we can connect. But we we limit ourselves to what we know. And, so true. So true. and we just miss the chance to see the universe of what we don't know. Yeah, it's it's like so many people they they take sex as intimacy and vice versa. But it doesn't have to be so. Oh God, no, not at all. You, 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 you can be intimate every day, 
for as much as you want. And it does not necessarily mean that you're having sex every day. You can make love every day without having sex oh, yeah. every day. Absolutely. Yeah, so you see, I don't know, it's just this idea of emptying yourself of concepts and identity and just bringing a new set of eyes to every single day, to every single occasion, and see. let's see what happens. Yeah. Would you say that your preferences were changing with the change of identity? That's a good question. Probably. Probably. I was not aware of a change of identity. But if, right. now that you ask me and looking back, I think maybe. You know, and we are so good at making up what a new relationship looks like in terms of sex and libido. And what a 15-year-old marriage relationship looks like in terms of sex and libido. And we just go with those concepts. We just go with those and again, just limiting ourselves. It doesn't have to look anywhere. Yeah, 100% agree. Marina, why do you think scriptures are not talking about sex? Oh. <laughs> well, which scriptures are you referring to? Because there are... <laughs> So there are for sure there are some oh, yeah. like the the Taoists will will you know, you know will explore that topic. But you know, as much as I read about Buddhism, um, for like like Mahayana Buddhism, for example, or um, you know Hinduism or Christianity, and generally people who are who are on the journey towards spirituality, they don't encounter a good body of knowledge about sex. It's like something that is kind of forbidden, you know, something that is kind of intentionally avoided. Well, I'm not sure that's true, Misha. I'm sure if we actually start digging into scriptures, we will find sex, but... But, yeah. but I think it has been left out intentionally, as you say. Be and and when, I, when, I, when I reflect on this, it seems to me like there is so much identity creation in sex because it requires vulnerability. You see? And so it is so easy to at attach ourselves to another person, attach ourselves to a sense of relationship, attach ourselves to whatever. And, and those attachments are counterproductive for spiritual growth, if you look at them that way. But on the other side, on the other side of the coin, you can see them, well, well if you are uh, able to go through this attachment creation and leave it behind regarding human relationship, well, that must be helpful for every other type of attachment because it is the epitome of attachment. It involves so much. We have so much invested in our relationship that it's, 
you know, and when, when there is a breakup, there is the loss of intimacy, the loss of that identity, the loss of the dreams built together, the loss of a whole language that has been developed by that couple, the loss of a whole world understanding that has been developed by that couple. And so leaving that behind is incredibly difficult. And I, I honestly, it honestly seems to me that it's time to bring them together again. You see, it's time to, to, to use everything we got in a, in a spiritual path, in our spiritual journey. No matter what is happening, you can bring it and, and it will feed if, if you do it right, if you can do it from a place of understanding and love and openness. What do you think? I think we we discussed that discussed on the in the first episode. To remember the different theories, and one of the first was the body theory, like different theories of identity. And the the first theory we discussed together was the body theory, and pretty much every spiritual tradition will say that you are not your body that you are someone behind, you are the watcher, you are the spirit, you are the Atman, right? The, the soul. And even like in Christianity, like even in 18th and 19th century, there would, people of religion will torture their own flesh. They will punish their body for desires. Oh yeah. Which sounds crazy right but at the same time the biggest attachment in our lives it is attachment to our own body and since sex is associated with the body in the first place when you deny your body you deny sex as well yeah so you see in the in the search of who we truly are or what we truly are you can either go at it by denying what you're not or by exploring what you're not and and both ways both ways are worth trying and you know we never know what is going to work for us today i can tell you that sometimes for me what i am not becomes very clear and that kind of helps me see what i am but sometimes i am just interested in in exploring what i am and not what i am not especially when it's you know bringing suffering <laughs> Yeah. But the invitation is there. And and at least in my understanding, you know, the more we are able to have absolute freedom in exploring anything, anything, just keeping in mind where you're coming from, the eyes that you are observing it with, the better. What do you like to say as the last sentence for our episode today? Explore. Yeah, agree. Explore, period, more, period. Explore, yes. Explore yourself, explore the other, explore possibilities, explore, just explore. 
explore. And you know, nowadays, you know, online, there is so much information, good information, not porn, like good information that, that really explores the science of pleasure. It's out there. Yeah. It's out there. And even if life in your past before has broken your heart open, it has done so to keep your heart open forever. Exactly. And that is, that is, Sorry, that is not a reason to, to stop the exploration. 100%. You can make it the reason to stop the exploration. But please don't. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Thank my you, love. Misha. Always a pleasure. Even, even the uncomfortable ones are a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast.